impressive voice of Minnesota. It is Brett Johnson on a Monday afternoon. Joined along by Patrick Lilia over there in the control booth. Patrick, how you doing today? Well, I'm tired. We talked a little bit about my weekend, which was uh, my eyes have kind of turned into hockey pucks. <laughs> so it's a good thing I have on the radio so you can't see me. Exactly. Yeah, well, I have the camera by me. So, uh, yeah, people can at least see me if you are watching on Facebook Live. But I suppose we should give the full disclosure that I know you from the fact that we broadcast a lot of sports events together. Granted, in that case, you're the one who's normally on the air. I'm the behind-the-scenes production guy, so our roles are kind of reversed. But, yeah, there are a lot of these youth hockey events around town this time of year. And you called, what, like maybe 48 games in three days? I'm probably embellishing a little bit there, but I'm sure it felt like that to you. Oh, it sure did. It was somewhere <laughs> around, I think, about 20 about 20, man. You know what's funny about it, too? I'm the one coming into today's show with a hoarse voice. And I've had this thing going on for like a week, and I have no idea why. I feel completely fine. I have nothing wrong with my nose, nothing wrong with my ears. Don't have a sore throat or anything. But for some reason, my voice has been very hoarse for the past few weeks. So, or not for the past few weeks, more like one week. But it has been kind of odd. So, hopefully I don't end up with like a cracking voice coming up in the second half of the show. And basically sounding like a 13-year-old guy who's having his voice about to change. So, hopefully I don't run into that by the time we get to the second half of the show. But... That is an invitation for callers, though, at 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. But if there is a little bit of an advantage of sounding hoarse is that it does get back to what they train you to do vocally when you're in radio school. By the way, Brown College class of... Oh, God, I don't even remember what class I was in. I think I was the class of 2010 at Brown College. Back when it was still open, by the way, Brown College has since closed altogether. They were a for-profit university, and I'll just say from my experiences, I'm not necessarily surprised that the entire school ended up going out of business. But back to the point. So at Brown College, they always taught you to basically talk from down below, talk from your diaphragm, don't talk with a nasally type of voice. So if there is one advantage of sounding a little bit hoarse, it does force you to do that a little bit more. So I guess that will make my voice sound a little bit deeper as well. All right. So of course, today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which also commemorates a day when a lot of white people like to misquote Dr. Martin Luther King with all sorts of social media memes. You'll probably see and throw out there in your social media accounts. I've certainly seen a number of those already put out there where, yeah, basically a lot of people love just a few aspects of the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. They, of course, love the I have a dream speech. Everyone loves quoting, I have a dream. And then, of course, the other thing people love about him is the fact that he supposedly was a very nonviolent protester, even though he kind of had some mixed feelings when it came to rioting, which we'll get to a little bit later on. But, yeah, it's just unfortunate that over the years he's almost been kind of turned into what I would call, for lack of a better way of putting it, like a Disney character where he kind of doesn't, like, in hindsight, have a lot of personality to people. They just view him as the guy who gave the I have a dream speech and the guy who was against violent protesting. That's basically kind of the only prism they view him in. But it is important to actually talk about some of his beliefs, especially later in life, as he really got radicalized in terms of economic inequality, even just weeks before his death. But, yeah, there are certainly a lot of myths going on that are being floated about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. today. And that's one of the unfortunate drawbacks of MLK Jr. Day is that we unfortunately do see a lot of these myths that are thrown out there about him, including the fact that the I Have a Dream speech was about him seeing the world in a colorblind society, which, of course, was not the case whatsoever. In fact, he was even quoted as saying, when there is vast unemployment and underemployment in the black community, they call it a social problem. When there is vast unemployment and underemployment in the white community, they call it a depression. Again, one of his quotes he actually made, and you don't often hear that one. You usually hear the old, I have a dream speech, which, by the way, nothing wrong with that whatsoever, but a lot of people actually take that speech 
and really use it out of context. And then, of course, another aspect that also is very much forgotten about him is that, well, he wasn't just focusing on racism in the South. In fact, he was also concerned really about the idea of inequality all over the world. In fact, if you go back and even look at his letter from a Birmingham jail, he was talking about how, at least at that point in the 1950s and 60s, there were so many countries in Africa and Asia that were gaining their independence. And he was basically talking about how we have waited for more than 340 years for our constitutional and God-given rights. The nations of Asia and Africa are moving with jet-like speed toward gaining political independence, but we still creep at horse and buggy pace toward gaining a cup of coffee at the lunch counter. So yeah, there certainly are definitely some myths about him, and it is unfortunate to see. You know what I also found interesting about him as well? And by the way, I'm only a 34-year-old white guy out here, so I obviously did not live through the times of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I'm by no means an expert on him whatsoever. In fact, all I've pretty much done today is just a little research on his background and some of the myths about him. So, by the way, I invite you to call in 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205, if you want to add something to the conversation or maybe disagree with me on a point because later on I'm actually going to make the contention that he would have been a brilliant politician not just in the very surface sense of being that he was for love and equality no I think he was actually a brilliant speaker and he was excellent at knowing how to read a room so we'll get to that in just a few minutes but I do want to bring up something that I found really interesting about his life and that's the fact that when you actually look at polling data about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. from the 1960s, and of course back in the 60s there's one not a, there was not a whole lot of polling data, but he was actually an extremely unpopular guy, not just among white Americans, but pretty much all Americans. So here's some polling data we'll have, and we'll actually start with some recent polling data from only 2018. And this kind of goes to the fact that a lot of people only look at Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. from the prism of the fact that he gave the I Love to Dream speech and he was against violent protests. So here's this 2018 poll that was done by CBS News. It found that 28% of Americans would like to have a cup of coffee with Dr. Martin Luther King, which was second to only George Washington at 31 1%. Poll also found that 80% of Americans indicated that Dr. King was a very important figure in American history. So again, when people were asked back in 2018 who would they most like to have a cup of coffee with, he came in at number two with 28% of respondents saying MLK. But let's actually take that to 1965 and public opinion of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And the data is a whole lot different compared to what it was in 2018. In a 1965 Gallup poll, 46% expressed a dislike of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., with 27% indicating they disliked him very much. So a majority of people expressed that they did not like him at all. Either they disliked him very much or they just disliked him. Make whatever nuance you want between those two. In a 1967 religion and civil rights survey, 63% disagreed with the belief that King is an outstanding example of making Christianity relevant and meaningful. And further, 83% agreed blacks would be better off taking advantage of the opportunities made available to them rather than protesting. Again, that is polling data just going back to the 1960s, which, again, is in very much contrast to that recent poll we saw from CBS News where it's almost like his legacy was kind of whitewashed, where people forgot about the fact that he was very unpopular back in the 1960s. People did not like what he had to say. They used a lot of the same language that, well, they say about groups like Black Lives Matter today. So let's continue talking about this now. Let's actually look at the fact that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did make a few visits to Minnesota back in the 1960s. And one of the visits he made was in 1967. And MinPost would later describe this rally and the address as having a hard edge as King called out his white supporters for being more opposed to unambiguously racist Southern officials than committed to genuine equality for Negroes. So in other words, what he was saying is that people were, yeah, they were 
for sure on board with him being opposed to people that they were perceiving as being, well, racist in the South. That would be a lot of the politicians that were from the southern United States. But when it came to actually giving inequality to people of color, well, and people weren't quite so much on board with that. So they were very much, yeah, with Dr. King uh, and opposing people who were racist in the South. But when it came to actually giving inequality, eh, then they weren't quite so much on board. By the way, does that kind of sound familiar with what we're experiencing today? He also talked about in this speech in 1967 in Minneapolis how victories had rectified some evils of the South, but did little to improve conditions for millions of Negroes in teeming ghettos of the North. And he said race riots in Minneapolis and across the nation were the language of the unheard. And this is something that I also find kind of interesting because... At least in my case, going back to even as recent as 2014, I was one of those people who would sit there and say, well, why are black people protesting and burning down their own communities? I don't see the point in that, especially when they are destroying businesses that are owned in their own community and are usually owned by people of color. And I specifically think about this when, of course, in 2014, we had those Michael Brown protests in Ferguson, Missouri. I was actually one of those people who was very much confused by the fact that, well, why are they actually protesting to do that? And it doesn't make sense to me that people would destroy their own town to protest and try to get equality. But let's actually think about this logically. And I think Dr. King might have almost been thinking about it in this sense kind of too, as I kind of read a little bit more about him. What I think you unfortunately have to bring up when it comes to actually bringing attention to your cause is that, well, you have to overall make news. So let's take example, some of those protests we saw back in 2014 with Michael Brown. Would anyone have actually been paying attention to the murder of Michael Brown if we didn't have those riots at all? Because unfortunately, the way the media works, and again, this is just thinking about it in a logical sense, you have to make news, and to sometimes do that, it has to be, unfortunately, bad news. So that's what I think he's kind of talking about when he's saying that riots are the language of the unheard. It's that if you have... If we're talking about black people in the 1960s, if no one's talking about the fact that you are experiencing inequality, you are experiencing racism, well, yeah, you can go and have a peaceful protest, but let's be honest, who's actually going to pay attention to that? Because the way the media works, of course, nationally, and this is true in the 1960s, it's true today, you only unfortunately report on bad news. So if you actually do end up having a riot, and if you do end up burning down buildings, well, that actually does get the attention of the media. And by the way, that's what also happened back in 2014 and in years beyond when we've seen recent protests with police shootings involving uh, black members of our society. That's what we've seen where when you have those types of protests, well, guess what? It actually gets people paying attention to it. And again, going back to what Dr. King was saying, he's talking about how it is the language of the unheard. And while I don't think he was necessarily condoning the actions of rioting, he certainly wasn't condemning it either. I think what he was asking was a larger question, which I think is the important question overall. It's not whether rioting is the so-called right thing to do. The real question is, well, why are people rioting in the first place? What's actually causing them to get to that point to where they are burning down their own community and actually rioting? What actually is causing them to get to that point? And I think that is the far more important question to ask. And of course, granted, there are people who are, you know, maybe protesting or burning down buildings or participating in riots for their own personal gain or to join a crowd. But for the most part, a lot of people are doing that because they're in a desperate situation and you basically have no other outlet to actually get people to pay attention to your cause. You know, when I was talking about last week when we had some Black Lives Matters protesters interrupting Pete Buttigieg. Well, think about the people who were attending that Pete Buttigieg rally. They probably would not have paid attention whatsoever to anyone with Black Lives Matter or any sort of race relation issues if he was not interrupted. So I think that kind of plays back to the point that we're talking about when Dr. King was talking about how riots are the language of the unheard. He's not necessarily condoning rioting, but he is understanding and not condemning it either. And 
is asking people, why are they actually protesting? Why are they actually rioting in the first place? We're at 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. And again, you may agree or disagree with the idea that there was rioting in the 60s and there's even rioting today, but there is an undisputable kind of answer to this question that I think we can all agree on. Did the riots actually work? I would argue, yes, they did, because you know what? In the wake of those riots we saw in the shooting of Michael Brown and other peoples of color over the past few years, it did actually get people talking about why people are protesting and why people are rioting. It did did get people actually talking about race relations in this country. Again, you might not have liked the, the way they got to that end. You might not have liked the means to the end, but it actually did work. So give us a call at 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. We'll continue with the show coming up next here as you're listening to 4 O'Clock with Brent on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's winter, it's cold, and you probably don't want to be outside. So cozy up inside with a new book from Next Chapter Booksellers or get something to read on your next vacation. Next Chapter Booksellers is the largest independent locally owned bookstore in St. Paul with a full range of books and subjects. Stop in and the friendly staff will help you find the perfect book. Located on Grand and Snelling in St. Paul and at nextchapterbooksellers.com. The number one source of the Twin Cities Gay Scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. Um, hello? If your taxes from years past are talking to you from the back of that drawer in your desk, it might be about time you answered the call by making a call to Moe's Tax Service in St. Paul. Time to come out now. They've been preparing tax returns and creating advisory-based relationships with their clients since 1971. Kind of stuffy in here. Problems with the IRS don't go away by ignoring them. Call Moe's Tax Service. That's M-O-H-S. They're on Ford Parkway in St. Paul. 612-721-2026. 721 2026. Food nourishes us. We need food to live. But how are we nourishing the food system? Well, actually, we're throwing a bunch of chemicals and we're making the dirt dead and then we're adding nitrates to the water and we're causing dead zones in the ocean. Oh, and we're also causing climate change. We do that with every bite we eat. But we can create something different. We can switch to a regenerative system. And that's what we talk about every week on Food Freedom Radio. So tune to Food Freedom Radio Saturdays at 8 a.m. or anytime via podcast. Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. When you need legal assistance, let the Minnesota Lawyer and Referral Information Service help you find the right attorney. It's a new and enhanced program of the Hennepin and Ramsey County Bar Associations. They have professional, experienced referral counselors who can connect you to vetted attorneys practicing in employment law, divorce, bankruptcy, DUI, and much more. Take the stress out of finding a lawyer. Call 612-752-6699 or go to mnlawyerreferral.org. The right call for the right lawyer. Donald Trump was impeached. So what happens next? Join Professor David Schultz and me, Brett Johnson, at Hamlin University on Wednesday, January 29th at 6 p.m. This will be a free event as we'll talk about the Senate trial, strategy from both Democrats and Republicans, and how it'll impact the 2020 elections. We'll also take your questions throughout the night. That's our free impeachment forum with David Schultz and me, Brett Johnson, on Wednesday, January 29th at 6 p.m. at Hamlin University, Anderson Room 305. More details at am950radio.com. Back on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Yeah, I encourage you to uh, attend that impeachment forum. That is a week from Wednesday with Professor Schultz and I. It's free, so check it on out. Details, am950radio.com. Wednesday, January 29th over at Hamlin University. Also, we'll be recording some audio of that forum that we'll be playing back on some future shows, too. So it'll be a well-timed being that we will be in the midst of the impeachment trial in the Senate, which those proceedings are, I think, going to get underway at least tomorrow, at least with some, well, beginnings parts of the, of the impeachment trial of President Trump. 
All right, so back to what I was talking about with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the idea that he was only a nonviolent protester. So again, as I was talking about, I don't think he necessarily condoned the idea of having violent protests or rioting, but he certainly didn't condemn it either. And this goes to an idea we often hear when we talk about modern protests today. In fact, I even remember some people at CNN, I think Wolf Blitzer and Don Lemon were among them, where they were trying to shame participants in rioting by saying, or basically pulling the Martin Luther King card by saying, what would Dr. King say about these protests? And they forget that he did use that idea of it's the language of the unheard. And I was talking about whether you agreed with it or not, the riots actually did work. They did spark a dialogue and a conversation about race relations in our country back in 2014 and 2015 and beyond, especially in the wake of the Michael Brown and the Trayvon Martin shooting. So, yeah, unfortunately, it's kind of a function of the media, too, where people aren't going to pay attention unless the status quo and the system is actually disrupted. And that's actually what the idea of rioting is. It actually disrupts the system. It creates news and it actually does spark conversation so yeah whether you agree with it or not the riots actually did work in the 1960s and to a degree they also did work today but there's also some other ideas about dr king that also kind of get forgotten especially towards his later years in life and that of course is that he was really highlighting the idea of economic inequality and also his opposition to the vietnam war in fact, at his speech beyond Vietnam, it was, well, one of the first times he even openly talked about his opposition to the Vietnam War, where he was talking about the need for fundamental changes and political changes in our country. And he was decrying the fact that we were spending more money on our military than actually on social programs here in our own country. And it, of course, didn't win him many allies he, that he had here in the States. In fact, he lost support from a number of people who originally were in favor of Dr. King's ideas uh, originally when it came to race relations. In fact, uh, there were a number of people who ended up turning on him when he made that Beyond Vietnam speech. Among them were, of course, President Lyndon B. Johnson and others. Uh, I believe also they were talking about how Time Magazine turned against him, and even some of the labor unions ended up turning against him when he made that speech talking about the fact that we need to get out of Vietnam and we should actually be spending our money on social programs here in our own country. And in fact, even just a few weeks before he was unfortunately assassinated, when he was giving a speech to some sanitation workers in Memphis, he was talking about, now our struggle is for genuine equality, which means economic equality. For we know now that it is not enough to integrate lunch counters. What does it profit a man to be able to eat at an integrated lunch counter if he does not have enough money to buy a hamburger? And he called for a revolution of values where, again, military spending would be slashed and funding for education would be drastically improved, especially for schools in poor areas of the country. So certainly, even still today, very relevant topics to be talking about, and it is a focus that he really switched to later in life. And this gets to another point I want to talk about because... I think he actually could have made a brilliant politician in this sense. So backing up a little bit, though, originally when I was a kid, I always kind of uh, sat there and uh, wondered to myself, well, why wouldn't Martin Luther King Jr., if he had survived, would he have become president of the United States? And I looked at that at a very surface idea of just the fact that I was looking at it from more, well, kind of the Disney perception of Dr. Martin Luther King. Again, the idea that he was a nonviolent protester and he caused civil change back in the 1960s. Now, of course, if you look at it from that prism, yeah, he absolutely would not have succeeded as a politician when, again, you look at some of the data and polling data about him dating back to the 1960s. 1960s where he was very unpopular. But I think if you look at it from another sense, he actually could have been a really good politician in the fact that he did actually know how to read a room. He did know how to rally people toward his cause. And I think as he switched his focus to economic inequality later in life, I think that really could have spoken to a lot of people, especially back in the 1960s and the 1970s, if he survived. Because if you Look at some of his speeches, especially later in life. He did a great job at being able to know how to talk to people in the room he was speaking in. He knew how to speak in their terms and become very relatable to them. And 
he had a very good political sense, I think. And it's part of the reason as well why he was perceived as being a nonviolent protester is that, well, he knew if he actually came out and explicitly supported rioting and violent protesting, well, he would be cast as basically not being taken serious by the rest of the country. And that also kind of goes to the fact why he waited so long in life to actually talk about economic equality or to really highlight that because he was very aware that he could easily be perceived as being a communist. So I think he also had a really strong political sense in him as well. And it would have been really interesting if he had survived and actually, well, was able to live a good 80 to 90 years if he would have run for elected office. Because while I originally thought, no, he would have had no chance whatsoever just because of the fact that, well, he was generally unpopular with people back in the 60s. I don't know. I kind of think he might have been able to actually pull it off with the fact that he knew how to actually read a room and talk to people that he was giving speeches to. And he did have a very good political sense. So unfortunately, we never got the chance to actually see that. But I think he actually could have been a really effective and really good politician. Just unfortunately, well, never had that chance. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. All right, we're going to switch gears and talk about some local news coming up next. And again, we will take your phone calls here at AM 950. But first, let's get to the news with Public News Service before we continue. The Public News Service Daily Newscast for January the 20th, 2020. I'm Mike Clifford. Virginia Governor Ralph Northrum declared a state of emergency ahead of the rally banning firearms from the area around the Capitol building today. That from the BBC. The Lobby Day is an annual event, but several gun control bills passed in January by the Democratic-led Virginia legislature is causing anger. The BBC notes the Virginia Citizens Defense League, a gun rights group which organized a rally, said it expected as many as 50,000 people. Various groups, including armed militia, right-wing extremists, and local Antifa, are expected to attend. From young students to business professionals today, Ohioans from all walks of life will honor the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. by giving back to their communities. This is the 25th anniversary of MLK Day as a National Day of Service, which encourages Americans to observe the holiday as a day on, not a day off. Hundreds of service projects are scheduled around the state. And Rebecca Verhoff-Kiss with Serve Ohio says first-time volunteers are often inspired to continue serving others throughout the year. This is a great day to get involved in a touch point and to really celebrate Dr. King's message of anybody can be great because anybody can serve. And so on MLK Day, it's a real opportunity to be great. And because it sometimes takes money to make a difference, Serve Ohio provides grants each year to select MLK Day service projects. Grants this year will support 10 projects and more than 2,200 volunteers in nine cities. Mary Sherman reporting. This story was produced in association with Media and the Public Interest and funded in part by the George Gunn Foundation. Folks in Ohio can search for local volunteer opportunities at the website mlkday.gov. This is PNS. Many pro sports teams are taking a more analytical approach in how they manage their organizations. The same thing is happening in the world of government, including at the Minnesota Capitol. In 2015, state government leaders signed up for the Results First Initiative, which is spearheaded by Pew Charitable Trust and the MacArthur Foundation. The program helps state and local policymakers use a deeper cost-benefit analysis when deciding how to spend a taxpayer dollars. Program Director Sarah Dubay says among all the states that have signed up so far, Minnesota has been among the most active with this approach. They have taken stock of the programs that they're, that the state is offering a, a, across a variety of social policy areas, um, assessed the, um, the ex- extent of research that's available on the effectiveness of those programs, um, how much those programs are costing the state. Minnesota officials say they leaned more on using these evidence-based proposals in the latest budget cycle. Dubay says Minnesota's approach is more effective because both major political parties have backed this style of policymaking, taking the partisanship out of it. So far, 27 states and 10 county governments in the U.S. have taken part in the initiative. Even though the program demands more evidence and analysis when choosing how to spend government money, Dubay says it doesn't necessarily take out the emotional factor when serving residents in need. I think those arguments go hand in hand, um, both using uh, government resources most efficiently and being able, and by using them most efficiently, being able to target um, those limited resources on programs that are um, doing the most um, for the people who need them. The commissioner of the Minnesota Management and Budget Office says in the future they hope to use this approach with state agencies and local partners outside of the biennial budget process. Mike Moen, Minnesota News Connection. 
And finally, Archibald Gomes reports on the anniversary of the Women's March. The march first debuted in January 2017 across the nation, the day after President Donald Trump's inauguration. On its fourth anniversary, the crowds are smaller, but the issues remain the same. Lauren Brenzel with the Florida Planned Parenthood PAC helped organize the Tallahassee March with partners around the city. She thinks the marches are still making an impact by inspiring voters. What's very important for us is to move into action, right, and to do things like if we want to see change and we want to see candidates elected who represent our values to knock on doors and to talk to our friends and family and to encourage people who maybe are unsure about voting to get out there and vote this year. And that's where we're going to see the real change happen. Brenzel and others are calling for progress on pay equity for women, climate change, reproductive rights, and immigration. Most of these issues have been targeted by Florida leaders going into this second week of the 2020 legislative session. Among several hot-button issues, Governor Ron DeSantis called for a new law requiring girls to get their parents' permission before having abortion. I'm Mike Clifford. Thanks for starting your week with Public News Service. We are member and listener supported and we're online at publicnewsservice.org. I'm Nick Slavic, proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I've been a craftsman for more than 25 years. My company has been awarded more than five national awards for craftsmanship. You won't find somebody who loves their job more than me. I've devoted my life to my family, my craft, my business, and to the people who trust me with their projects. And I'm happier for doing it. Visit NICK. S-L-A-V-I-K dot com to learn more. I'm Candy Braffel, publisher of the Twin Cities edition of Natural Awakenings magazine and host of Green Tea Conversations, a new show for people who are on a journey to take responsibility for their health and play a more active role in their family's well-being. Join me every Sunday at 10 a.m. as I interview local experts who share the latest in natural holistic approaches in a fun and informative way. So grab a cup of tea and join the conversation as we awaken to natural health. Visit us at naturaltwincities.com. AM 950 weather, I'm Patrick Lilia. Overnight, clear with a low of 1 below, wind chills down to 13 below. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 19, but wind chills down to 13 below. The Electric Fetus wants your used music. Sell your vinyl, CDs, and DVDs from now through January 26th and receive an extra 50% if you choose store credit. Located at 2000 South 4th Avenue in Minneapolis. More at electricfetus.com. Yeah, you got to run over there and check out the Electric Fetus. That is one of the last independent record stores you'll find in town. In fact, one of the last, well, record stores period that you'll find in town and you'll get a lot of great music over there at the electric fetus and man that's a great deal an extra 50 percent off when you bring in your used music and you can well get yourself some new music so check that out electricfetus.com or 2000 fourth avenue south over there in minneapolis with their used music buy was it again the used music buying bonanza i can't remember the exact name of it but either way they got a great sale going on over there at the Electric Fetus. So unfortunately today, also in the news, we are having those protests that are taking place in Virginia where we're seeing a lot of, well, I don't necessarily like to use the term gun rights advocates because I would say they are far from that. I think they're more gun nuts that are showing up in Virginia, including a lot of people who apparently are being bussed in from out of state. But the good news is, does not look like we've had any violence take place yet. But I always find it kind of funny whenever we see these gun protests because we often see a lot of our founding fathers getting misquoted. Again, we were talking about how in the last segment that uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. often gets misquoted. Well, certainly the founding fathers also get misquoted when it comes to talking about the Second Amendment and guns. And uh, one of the fun ones I saw quoted on a sign was from a quote that George Washington supposedly said. He supposedly made this quote of, when government takes away citizens' right to bear arms, it becomes citizens' duty to take away government's right to govern. Well, if you look that up, it turns out George Washington never actually said that. In fact, the closest thing he said to that, according to a scholar who does a lot of research on George Washington, was the State of the Union address back on January 8th of 1790, where he said, A free people ought not only to be armed, 
but disciplined. And basically the academic consensus on that is that Washington was referring to having a trained militia to defend the new nation rather than anticipating citizens seeking to head off perceived government tyranny. And again, let's even think about this from a logical perspective. If you're sitting there as a brand new government of a country, why would you be advocating for citizens of your own country to be having arms so they could overthrow you? Because, as I've said this on previous shows before, what do all politicians have in common? It's an easy question to answer. Every single politician pretty much has this in common, whether they're here in the United States or whether they're abroad in an international country or whether they're at a local level. Every politician has this in common. They want to stay in power. They don't want to lose their job. So again, logically think about that. You typically would not actually want, if you're a politician, to be advocating for people to overthrow your own government. So that's one of the reasons why it doesn't really make sense that George Washington would be, and also the other founding fathers, would be advocating for this idea that people should have their own arms so they can overthrow a tyrannical government. doesn't make any sense when really what they were talking about with this idea of the right to bear arms is kind of what they were alluding to in this George Washington quote, and that's the idea that you need state militias to at least head off possible foreign invasions from other countries, which, by the way, was a very real threat going back to the 1790s and even into the 1800s, obviously, when the United States was a brand new country. And then, of course, you also have the idea of the fact that the Second Amendment was also kind of there for slave patrol ideas. Tom Hartman, in fact, actually wrote an entire book on that where he talks about the hidden history of the Second Amendment. We interviewed him, I think, last summer about that book on the Second Amendment, so you can definitely go and check that out as well, and even go back and listen to my interview with Tom Hartman. Hey, and by the way, speaking of Tom Hartman, he has another new book coming out. Man, that guy is insane. He writes like a book every single year. <laughs> to me, it would be intimidating to just to write one book over the course of an entire lifetime, but there you go. You got Tom Hartman, who writes a new book just about every year. Uh, his new book is basically about how voting rights have been taken away for, well, years and years here in the United States. Uh, let's see if I can actually get you the exact title. I got it here somewhere in my notes, but either way, you're going to get a new copy of that Tom Hartman book signed by him if you purchase a ticket to our Blue State Ball, which is, is coming up on Sunday, February 23rd. So that'll be a chance to uh, get that signed book of Tom Hartman's new book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting, Who Stole Your Vote and How to Get It Back. Again, with our Blue State Ball, Sunday, February 23rd. Anyone who purchases a ticket will get a signed copy of that book. And again, uh, also a heads up with the Blue State Ball. It will sell out this year over at Bauhaus Brew Labs. It'll be a little bit different than years past when you could sometimes show up at the door and buy your tickets at the door. Probably not going to be the case this year as we do have a limited capacity over at Bauhaus Brew Labs. So go ahead and buy your tickets now over at am950radio.com. Hoping to see you at the Blue State Ball and... We'll probably also have Tom on the program coming up between now and the Blue State Ball, all to not only preview what he'll be talking about on Sunday, the 23rd of February, but we'll also talk about his new book as well. Again, talking about the hidden history of the war on voting. We're at 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. All right, so I'm kind of a political nerd when it comes to polling. I follow polls closely and... Well, I don't just like to look at the raw data. I actually like to interpret it in terms of what it means, how polls were actually done, are they accurate, who did they end up asking questions to. And one of the people who actually is kind of the gold standard when it comes to polling is someone by the name of Gabe Fleischer, who, or not Gabe Fleischer, rather, it's Ann Seltzer. She was interviewed by Gabe Fleischer, but Ann Seltzer is someone who conducts the Des Moines Register poll whenever they do those Iowa caucuses, and she's basically been spot on just about every time she's conducted those polls, and, well, she actually conducts polling in a different way than, well, other people do that I find kind of interesting, and she actually gave us a little bit of inside information in terms of how she actually finds her sample bases and why she was actually pretty much right back in 2016 when she was pretty predicting the rise of Bernie Sanders, because if you remember, a lot of Iowa polls actually showed Hillary Clinton 
supposedly winning that race by a pretty wide margin, even though that ended up not really being the case whatsoever. So the bottom line is that Seltzer does not try to make a model of likely turnout in future caucuses based on past voting behavior because she says we ask everyone who is registered to vote if they're likely to caucus on the Democratic side, no matter whether they are a registered Democrat, Republican or independent. We ask all of them. And I think that's actually a good way to do polling. Because, again, in other words, rather than asking and looking at past data in terms of whether people uh, caucused with the Democrats or the Republicans in past elections and then getting your sample size from there, well, she basically throws that out the window because, well, she does recognize that sometimes when you have candidates who enter a race that might bring a whole bunch of new people to the field, well, you just ask them, are you going to caucus with the Democrats, the Republicans, or whatever side, and who are you likely to support? And then you actually build your model from there. So hopefully that kind of makes some sense because she basically was projecting back in 2016 that 60% of caucus goers would be first-time participants, which was largely scoffed at in the polling community, even though she largely ended up being right. And that's kind of what precipitated the rise of well, Bernie Sanders in a state like Iowa, when a lot of pollsters showed that he really didn't have a chance in that state. So it is kind of interesting the way that she conducts her polling, and it's the reason why, well, the Des Moines Register has been, well, relatively accurate in years past. And, well, if you're wondering what are they projecting so far in the Democratic race, well, very, very tight stuff as they have. I think it's Bernie in first place at 20%, followed closely behind by Pete Buttigieg, then Elizabeth Warren, with Joe Biden actually in fifth place at only 15%. But basically... All four of those front runners are within five percentage points of each other. So at least for now, they are projecting a very close race over there in Iowa. But at least for me, kind of some interesting inside information that at least when Ann Seltzer of the Des Moines Register conducts her polling, she does it in a much different way where instead of basically looking at past turnout, well, they look at projected turnout in the upcoming election in terms of who they will actually use in terms of their sample size when they uh, kind of wait who gives response who responds to questions and how they actually weight those answers. So kind of some interesting inside information there. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Got one final segment left on the show. And coming up, we are going to be talking about approval ratings for Governor Tim Walls and also some legislative races here in Minnesota, including some fundraising information on the candidates. We'll get to all of that coming up next here on the 4 O'Clock Show with Brett on AM 950. In the Army National Guard, family means everything. They really appreciate what she's done as a sister as well as a soldier and, you know, supporting their country. Our parents, they were really supportive that all five of us would join. Family members that are soldiers in the Army National Guard inspire and influence, setting a path for others. It's validating knowing that, you know, I kind of did my part to make sure this is what they actually wanted and that they feel the same way I do. I'm really proud that we get to help shape the future. And I know that my sisters are going to be amazing soldiers. Serving part-time in the Army National Guard instills pride that you and your family will share in. A lot of pride. And they're just out there doing something every day and then serving their country as well. I got my education because of the Guard. I got to travel a little bit and experience a whole different culture. Visit NationalGuard.com to learn more about part-time service. Sponsored by the Minnesota Army National Guard. Aired by the Minnesota Broadcasters Association and this station. Hello? Is anybody here? You there. I'm George Washington, here for the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Where is everyone? It was moved, sir. Ben Franklin blasted out an event on Facebook and invited everyone to Independence Hall. Didn't you get it? I'm Chad Hobart with Social Media MN. If your marketing is behind the times, contact us online at socialmediamn.com or at 763-244-4058. We can help your business message get blasted out on social media and Google search. We offer uncomplicated, results-driven, and affordable internet marketing solutions for businesses of all sizes. SocialMediaMN.com or 763-244-4058. 
Northeast Minneapolis is known for its creativity, and you'll know exactly why when you eat at Hazel's Northeast. Their creatively prepared comfort food will have you coming back week after week. Breakfasts like biscuits and gravy, granola pancakes, and brisket hash. For lunch, homemade soup, and one of the best Rubens in town. And don't miss the daily risotto or Chef Ali's ever-changing dinner specials. Come on in. Bring the whole family. Hazel's Northeast delivers real good food. Family owned at 29th and Johnson in Minneapolis. Hello, humans. This is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio on Monday mornings from 7 to 8 a.m. I'm an idealist working to change the world. My show, Ellie 2.0 Radio, highlights other past and present idealists and the incredible things humans can do when we work for the greater good. You remember that idea about the greater good, right? I've got a vision of a better world where everyone has a place at the table. Listen every Monday from 7 to 8 a.m. and be inspired on AM 950. And we're back on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota on your Monday afternoon. One final segment left on the show here on this Martin Luther King Day. Hey, so by the way, you probably heard those social media MN ads during that last break. And the guy you heard on that ad is Chad Hobot, the owner of social media MN. So not going to talk about the business part of that ad. I'm going to talk about the fact that he is actually now running for the state legislature, as he is actually going to be in a special election that will be taking place on February 4th, so just a few weeks away. He is running in District 30A, which is the old seat of Nick Zerwas. So, yeah, watch that race if you live in that area. District 30A is, well, it's a very heavy Republican area, being that it used to be the seat of Nick Zerwas, but it does encompass areas as I'm looking through the map here, maybe parts of Elk River, kind of over into Big Lake. Basically, it's shaped kind of like a sideways L is another way of looking at it that runs kind of along I-94 and also Highway 10 up in that area. So Chad Hobart running up there in District 30A, and we will actually have him as a guest on tomorrow's show. So you can learn a little bit more about him and do wish him the best of luck in that race. Again, it's a very heavy Republican district, but you never know what can happen once you get to those special elections. Hey, speaking of uh, local political news, Governor Tim Walls has had an approval rating released regarding him, and this is actually from the Morning Consult, and pretty healthy approval rating for Governor Walls. 52% say they approve of him. His disapproval rate is only 37%, which is very good numbers, actually, for someone who is in only their second year serving in office, so certainly numbers that bode well for Governor Tim Walls, and I made this argument even, I think, uh, as early as 2018. With his numbers already looking as strong as they are, and by the way, I thought this would probably be the case if he were elected governor, I think you're potentially looking at someone who could be a vice presidential candidate at least by 2024 if Democrats lose in 2020, but maybe even in this cycle overall, because think of that overall appeal of Governor Tim Walls. He already is a popular governor of a purplish-blue state. He also served in Congress in a very rural district, of course, when he represented southern Minnesota in CD1. So you just put those two ideas together, and then you consider the fact that, well, Democrats, whoever is going to be their presidential candidate in 2020, will probably be looking for a Midwesterner, being that at least among the front runners, you have Bernie Sanders, who is from Vermont. That's obviously an East Coast state. Well, close to the East Coast. Vermont technically doesn't border the Atlantic Ocean, but geography aside, you also have Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, Joe Biden, also kind of from that eastern seaboard area in Delaware. And then you kind of have Pete Buttigieg, who does represent, of course, South Bend, Indiana, but he's probably the least likely of the four front runners to get the nomination. So if you do end up with a Bernie or an Elizabeth Warren or a Joe Biden at the top of the ticket, just think for a second how attractive of a candidate Tim Walls would be as your Veep. Again, a guy who is a governor of a Midwestern purple state and also a guy who served in Congress representing a very rural congressional district. Of course, it would be a little soon maybe to make him a VP, being that he would have only have served as governor for, at that point, two years. But at least by 2024, if Democrats still have an open race, he could be a very 
potentially attractive candidate, not just for VP, but maybe even the presidency altogether. So I was kind of reading the tea leaves back in 2018 that if Walls could get into that governor's mansion, all of a sudden nationally, yeah, he has a very, very attractive resume. Hey, also in some Minnesota political news, did you know, well, you probably do, that Tom Emmer is the head of the National Republican Campaign Committee, or Congressional Committee, rather. Get all those acronyms mixed up, whether it's the DCCC, the NRCC, the DNC, the RNC. It's acronyms galore. But either way, yeah, Emmer is basically the head guy that is trying to get Republicans back in the majority in the U.S. House of Representatives. And one of his duties is actually fundraising for the party. Unfortunately for Tom Emmer, things haven't been going so well in terms of Republican fundraising, at least at the congressional level. Now, at the presidential level, it actually is a different story where Trump's fundraising numbers are very healthy. But at least in terms of Congress, the numbers are not actually doing so well, at least kind of reading through the tea leaves, according to a speech from Tom Emmer that he gave a few days ago, where basically he was calling out Republican congressional candidates saying, you cannot rely on our national national money. You have to actually fundraise on your own, which basically is kind of showing a sign that the Dems actually appear to be raising much more money than the Republicans, at least at the national level. That's according to a lot of uh, experts in D.C. So it is kind of interesting right there that, yeah, he's actually giving this message and telling Republicans that you need to do more fundraising on your own. And that probably shows, again, why it's unlikely, even if Trump is to get reelected, you will probably see a flip in the U.S. House of Representatives when you combine the fact that the fundraising numbers for Republicans have not been good. And then, of course, you also have the very unusual amount of vacancies for Republican seats which is now over 30. And then you also combine that with the fact that, well, control of the U.S. House almost never flips during a presidential election, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat that currently occupies the White House. Just overall, very tough to change the complexion and the majority of Congress during a presidential election year. Midterms are usually when you see switches in terms of congressional control. So, yeah, when you combine all of that with the fact that Republican fundraising numbers do not appear to be good, probably a good sign that the House will stay Democratic in 2020. But, of course, uh, by no means does that have any bearing on how the presidential election might actually go. All right, one non-political story before we wrap things up. We are the least worst drivers in the United States, according to a car insurance comparison survey. The least worst, which is kind of a double negative. Basically, they went through and rated number one through 50 in terms of states and how bad of drivers they were. Well, we checked in at number 50, which I guess means we're actually the best drivers here in the country. They factored in things like uh, fatalities per 1,000 people in car accidents and also drunk driving incidents. And that's the reason why Minnesota is actually checking in as being, well, the least worst drivers. Wisconsin, well, they didn't do so well. They checked in at number 22. and eh, no surprise. Uh, drunk driving was a big reason why, well, they actually ranked way below or, well, above us, depending on how you look at it. All right, I'm back with the show tomorrow. Again, speaking with some legislative candidates, including Chad Hobart. So look forward to that tomorrow. Good in your mind.